Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program based in East Timor that has a singular vision, which is to promote the health and well-being of veterans and veterans' families. Due to the current restrictions from COVID-19, we are running slightly abridged programs on the Gold Coast uh, with the same vision and same aim. We're using these opportunities to sit down with our participants one-on-one and conduct podcast interviews to capture their story and their lessons learned and things that we can all learn from uh, as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journey and help others do the same. We're going to be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. Whether you're out and about or listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll learn a lot by listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. Alrighty, Wendy Taylor, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a bit of a chat with us. Obviously, we are at the tail end of TA14, and I know this is not your first TA, you were on the very first one. This one. Yeah, TA1, back in the early days. Yeah. So, uh, And I do remember you giving you know, a bit of a testimonial and a bit of a, a chat then, and um, so this is not the first time you've um, jumped behind the microphone and had a bit of a chat about your career, but you know, the purpose of this is by no means uh, is this a marketing plug for what we do, this is really more about a having a chat about your story yeah, sure. and what you've yeah, experienced and so forth and with the view that yeah, the people listening to it will uh, yeah, be able to resonate with it and, and learn something. So what I'll do first and foremost, if you don't mind, is maybe just chatting a little bit about you know, your military story, story, military background and where you were posted and where you went and all that kind of cool stuff. Okay, yeah. will do. Um, I joined Defence in 1981 um, as a reserve officer. Yep. Uh, I'd been working in the public hospital system. So first of all, I was a nurse and uh, been working outside in Civilian Street for about... I started nursing in 1966, so it was a fairly long time ago, um, but went back to nursing because I immigrated to Australia instead than finishing my nursing in the UK. From the UK, I assume? From yep. the UK. Yep. Uh, so joined Defence in uh, as a reserve officer yep. in 81 uh, uh, and enjoyed that. But I was doing reserve work so that I didn't have to leave my children. My children, I had two, and I won't call them young children, but there were two children that um, I still wanted to be at home for yeah. other than when I went on exercise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in those days that really was all that we had the opportunity to do was exercises within Australia. Um, so I did that until 89. And then in 89 I went and did what they call full-time service because we were amalgamating... Uh, a field hospital with a static hospital and I was asked to come and help with the move so I did that mm. for six months yep. then they wanted me to stay on for a little bit longer but because my uh, civilian employer had kept my job for me I said it was a little bit unfair than asking them to keep it yep. so um, I took a, what they call a short service commission which was two years yep. Uh, I won't say unfortunately, um, but during that two years, I was sent to the first Gulf War. Wow. Okay. So uh, I came back from uh, the Gulf War in March of ninety one, mm-hmm. March of ninety one, and uh, we then was after that was posted up to up to Brisbane. My first posting was in Sydney. That's where I'd lived, mm. and uh, so I did the posting up to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Did that. Then went and got a bit of civil schooling, so I went and got my Bachelor of Nursing, even though I'd been a nurse for over 20 years. Right. Um, they felt as though I needed to have this piece of paper because that's what the younger girls were coming out with, right. and boys, not just girls. So I uh, did that, then got posted back down to Sydney, uh, to the same place that I'd left. Yep. Um, 
and from there it was a posting really in between Brisbane and Sydney, Sydney, Brisbane. Um, came back up again to uh, Brisbane and went off to East Timor. And of course, from the Timor Awakening program, that was what I wanted to do was go back to Timor mm-hmm. to see how the people had progressed mm-hmm. um, and how I felt about what we had contributed while we were there and if it had made a difference. Um, and, of course, t- I was on the TA1, which was very intense. It was yeah. a, a very um, hard time. Yeah. This program now, t- TA14, is a definitely um, a, a different scenario uh, and a lot more relaxed. Yeah. And, it's, and it's been excellent, an excellent program. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so just anybody that's, as I say, I'm 70 this year um, and it doesn't... Don't look it. Yeah, thank you. It doesn't matter how old you are. That's, that's the thing about um, pr- helping helping and being part of the veteran community. Yeah. Um, so I've gained a lot of insight into my own behaviour because um, not one of us, I don't think, the Leaves Defence comes out as... Um, as whole as we were when we went in, um, so we do have problems. Um, yeah. It, yeah, so coming along here and, and reaffirming what I know, what I want for my life has been again just that affirmation. It's been fantastic, and it has been fantastic. Yeah. It's been a very supportive group, yep. both the staff and the participants that's on it. And so I've gained again from here going home reinvigorated, which is a really good thing to do. Leaving defence, and that was in 2005, and I left on what they call a medical discharge. So um, I was uh, uh, a little bit broken and I was really unhappy about going. I didn't want to go. I still believed that I had something that I could give to defence. But unfortunately at that time they wanted me to uh, take the health contingency over to Iraq uh, and I wasn't in any fit state to do that, so... Uh, my position was needed, so yep. I was, as I say, medically discharged. Mm. Fortunately for me, I went from being in defence and the family of defence, mm. I then went and joined the RSL. Okay. And I became what they call a sub-branch president, so I had a sub-branch that I was responsible for, yep. responsible to, mm-hmm. and from that I became a vice president of the district and from the vice president of the district, I've now become a district president. So in Queensland, we have 10 districts and I'm one of those 10 district presidents. So that also means that I've got to sit on the board of RSL Queensland, which is a privilege and an honour to, again, mm. and and I'll say like most nurses, my passion is caring for others and it really is caring for others. So doing this has been a great thing for me. Yeah. Uh, doing the RSL stuff is a good thing for me because, again, I can still participate looking after the veterans and that's yeah. what I'll say my passion is. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you've had a very illustrious career. I mean, uh, you're one of only, uh, I'd say, two or maybe three people in, in total I've ever spoken to who went to you know, um, the first Gulf War, yeah. Desert Storm. Yeah, uh, Anthony Irwin on this oh, program okay. being one of the others. Okay. Um, so yeah, you've got a wealth of experience. Um, mm. Hard to know where to start. Is is there something from because it was such a different time back then? Um, is there anything from the sort of Desert Storm time that that stands out to you that you've kept all that time or that you learnt from that? 
that deployment, that time overseas. Yeah, I think the thing that I learned from that was the fact that Australian soldiers, Australian nurses and doctors are the best in the world and they really are the best in the world. Mm. We are so um, diverse in our capabilities. We don't – well, we do specialise but you – are still able to do, and I'll call it the basics. Mm. So, and that especially, I was an operating room nurse on the USNS Comfort, and as an operating room nurse uh, in Australia, you do whatever cases come into your theatre. You, you know, you'd, some do pick and choose, but most, most of us uh, doesn't matter what comes in. You just look after it, and that's what I felt. Well, not felt. That's what I know helped me during the Gulf War because mm. it was. Um, we were told to expect 20,000 injuries within the first battle. Wow. Uh, and, of course, then that sort of caused quite a fair bit of panic with, the, with the staff because um, they'd get their first specialty to start with, but then after that they could get anything on the table. So if you were the thoracic nurse so looking after the chest and your next patient had a, a brain injury, mm. well, sometimes you found it hard to switch off from what you'd been so used to doing. Mm. Um, but as I say, Australian nurses, that's that's your bread and butter. You just, yeah. So uh, it was, and I realised then and there that that was what we needed to keep doing. Mm. Um, I did talk to the Americans about their program, about what they were doing, how they specialised so much. Mm. And then I was fortunate in 1996 to get chosen to go over to America to the... Um, uh, in San Antonio and Fort Sam to go and assess a theatre course that they run over there yep. for nurses. Unfortunately, as I said to the director of that program, what they were teaching was for the nurses to what they call circulate and that was so that they could watch everything that was going on. And as I said to her, that's not what Australia wants. Mm. Australia wants nurses that can be the instrument nurse, can be the circulating nurse, mm. can be the anaesthetic nurse, mm. can be the, the the equipment nurse or the, or the central sterilising nurse, yeah. not just specialising in one field which has been a circulating nurse. So um, I came back and said that program wasn't really what we needed. However, we did send another nurse on that same program just to, to, to see how it went. Mm. And again, that was the weakness. The weakness was... You know, you, uh, yeah, it was, it's not, wasn't good. It wasn't good for Australians. So, right. So we stopped sending nurses across to it. Right, okay. But they do send, uh, and I'm not sure if they're still sending it because they say I was out in 2005, but up until me getting out, they were sending nurses over to do critical care. So they would go and work in their intensive cares mm -hmm. in the States. Mm -hmm. And the only good thing that medicine in the States is that you look after the veteran you look after their family, you look after the veteran when they retire, so you're looking after people from paediatrics all the way through to geriatrics and death. So that's another thing that they do well, but we don't, because the only people that we look after in peacetime is our fit, healthy people. Fit, healthy people. And that's AI not and compliant people. Yeah, yeah, and that's not and that's not Reality challenging. That's not, yeah. that's not, yeah, so, and that's, does give us some problems. So um, fortunately now for health people, they uh, get seconded to civilian hospitals where they're able to do all those things that they do need to do. And, and do you think that, uh, you know, you're saying that 
our our standards and our you know, personnel amongst the best in the world, if not the best. Yeah. Do you think that, that that has maintained to this day? Do you think that standard, that, that sort of flame has been carried forward? I believe so because if you talk to any other country about the Australians, mm. I mean, it that it's always in the positive. There's never the, oh, they don't know what they're doing. You know, it's always positive. Mm. There's never any negativity there from yeah. anybody that talks about the Australians, whether it is the surgeon or the nurse or the infantry soldier. Yeah. You know, it's – and I'm talking predominantly army because that's where I came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's still out there. It's still out there in the big wide world, so, yeah. And what do you think is the, the reason for that? Why do, why do you think Australians do have that – or the reason they have the reputation is because they've earned it, but why do you think um, we have that sort of strength? I think it's not because we we're, we're always saying that um, we can do it doesn't matter. I think it's the fact that we are such a very caring people within Australia, and mm. I think that's part of it. And I also think that um, I'm not saying we'll give it a go, because that's always not the patient's best interest. Mm. Giving things a go. Um, so the fact now that they're going out to civilian hospitals to be trained yep. or to wrong to maintain their uh, readiness to go yep. um, and being exposed and maybe it's because you do join defense because I'm not saying you're looking for adventure but you you're, you're looking for something that can keep you stimulated yep. and so again maybe that's why nurses are the way they are in defense is the fact that they're up for the challenge of something that will test them mm. and make them work harder to look after somebody so maybe that's what it's maybe that is it. yeah yeah could well be yeah and uh and, and yeah thanks for everything you've shared that's that's really cool stuff i guess fast forwarding now sort of uh, more towards your transitional period. You said that you had some difficult times and you, you left the Defence Force uh, um, in a disfavourable manner. Um, what were the highs and lows and, and how did you navigate that time in your personal life? Um, the lows were the fact that I wasn't ready to retire. Mm. I wasn't ready to retire. And knowing that the injuries that I'd sustained while I was in Defence would not allow me to go back into civilian work because I was broken, and both mentally and physically. Um, so, but I still have a brain, and mm. that's what got me angry with defence was the fact that you might not have been able to get full value from me, but I still had a brain that was able to rationally think, had been there, done that. Also, an older person mm. was the other thing that you know. Um, so I, I believed I had a wealth of knowledge that I could still impart within defence and they let me go. So I was uh, disappointed, disappointed and, and, and of course, anger. Anger yeah. was there. I've let go of the anger because, um, as I say, by being able to do things like the RSL and caring for veterans, uh, being part of uh, the, the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening, um, that's given me... I won't say a lot things to go on with. Yeah, it, it it's it's continued and allowed me to still give, give and care, which is a big part of who you are. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, during that time, you said you've you've let go of the anger and you've done yeah you've 
moved through a lot of this stuff. How did you do that? Was it something that you um, drew on in terms of internal strength or was there something um, aside from just you know, the team awakening programs, which obviously have a big part of that, but um, you're a part of the RSL, you're out there in the veterans community. I'm assuming that there's been a few different engagements you've had along the way. What have you found most effective and what would you like to pass on? Yeah, I th- I th- as I say, I think that, again, the thing is the fact that um, being part of the RSL yep. has allowed me to continue to share with Yep. fellow people yep. like myself who have served this yep. country, who want to keep on giving back. And I think that's what it's all about is you, you want to give. You don't want to, t- to always take, you yep. want to give. So um, looking after others that sometimes aren't able to cope at the time yep. is um, for me, for me, very important. So mm. part of the RSL allows me to do that. So really I'll say my saving grace was was joining yeah. the RSL and okay. was participating with them. And um, as a, and the other part, Timor Awakening. Um, yeah. it, and even for people who've never been to Timor, mm. you saw the change in those people mm. that were able to participate and realise that you do matter and you do give. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And what what was some of the standout things for you going back to Timor? Um, given that it'd been some time since you deployed there, what stood out to you? It was that they'd moved forward, mm. that they had got their lives back. Yep. They were going forward. They weren't stagnating, they weren't um they were improving things like roads and buildings. And it was really nice to see some of the infrastructure that was going up. It was sad seeing a lot of the, um, I'll say the produce, that not, not produce, products that came from places like China and overseas that you know that they themselves, if they had the right backing from other companies, would be able to do it themselves. Yep. Would be able to do it themselves. Yep. I mean, they're still making their own concrete and everything else that they do. Uh, and I believe that they've got they've got the um, ability to continue producing things mm. without having to rely on, and I'll call them those other countries. And I think that would be fantastic, just like Australia. Yep. Australia, um, we've got a plus and a minus with the COVID. COVID has kept us um, being as, mo- as social as we like to be, and that's the thing with most Australians, we like to be social. Yep. Um but the plus side of that is we've realised that we as Australians want to have things that are made in Australia. Yeah, that's right. We want things that come from here. Want to be a sovereign business. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So hopefully from all of this bad COVID stuff, we'll be able to uh, have more manufacturing of uh, Australian goods. Yep. So. Cut down on the dependency on the international supply chains and so forth. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Wow. Okay. So... Uh, there's been so many uh, chapters of your journey, isn't there? I guess um, one of the questions I'm asking everybody here, and I think it's an important one, is with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of being able to go on different programs and learn things that we may not necessarily really have been taught in defence, um, if you could go back and tell your pre-discharged you know, self, if you could go down, whether it's uh, six months before discharge or even five years before discharge, what would you say to yourself? There's life after defence. <laughs> there is life after. And There's I no hesitation in that answer. No. Uh, and, and I think that's, yeah. that's the thing that it took me a while to learn because I wasn't ready to, ready to go. Was there is a life after defence mm. and there is a life after defence but you can still take your family of defence. 
And that's been really important. I mean, I served nine years in the reserves and then 16 years in the regulars. So that was a big part of my life, yeah. um, in being involved in defence by belonging mm. to other groups. So I'm not pushing the RSL into everybody, but mm. belonging to something that you can still participate with like-minded people mm. and know some of the problems that they've had to go through just like you then it's really nice having those people. Maybe maybe I'm one of the, I won't say an unlucky one, but because my family and I'm saying my siblings, yeah. they're all overseas. I don't have any siblings here in Australia. So I suppose that I don't have that nucleus family that like mm. a lot of uh, defence people have. So for me, defence became my family. Right, right. So everyone's back in the UK? Uh, no. <laughs> I have one sister that lives in California. Okay. I have a brother that lives in Texas, and I have a younger sister that still lives in England. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's as I say, we're all spread out. Spread over. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's great. It's great because you've always got somewhere to go on holidays <laughs> when COVID's finished. So that's yeah. right. It's yeah. a just kind of uh, you've, you've sparked a new question in my mind. What did make you leave the UK all those years ago and come under there? <laughs> I was an 18-year-old that had a six-month-old baby uh, and a husband. Right. And um, I had my parents had come to Australia when I was five and went back when I was 11. I hated it. I hated being cold. I just didn't like it. It was grey and dismal in those days. It's not quite like that because with climate change, England has become a warm place. Right. And... uh, my daughter was born in June in the UK and I got sunburnt three days before she was born. So there is still, you know, um, good, good weather. But um, uh, my first husband had been playing uh, rugby okay. and he'd got a, a position to go and play with one of the first grade teams. And we'd gone for an interview and they were still speaking thee and thou. And I came out of there and I said, she's not growing up speaking like that. I said, we're going to Australia. I said, you can come with us, but we're not staying. And, of course, he came with us and uh, we came to Australia and that was it. So uh, Go to Australia where definitely no one speaks they and thee and thou. Thee and thou. <laughs> it's yeah. the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Well, you drop all the ends of your words. That's right. Is... You need to go to Australia to learn how to talk English that's, poorly. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, so yeah. Uh, as I say, I had uh, – I came with a daughter. Uh, my husband then joined Australian Defence Force and then okay. we, we uh, went to Singapore for two and a half years and I had a baby over there. So my son was born in Singapore. So I have no – my first Australian family member was my grandson. So Okay. So – Two kids in total then? Yeah, just two. Just two. Yeah, Yeah. a boy and a girl. And uh, so I won't tell you how old Julie is because she'd kill me if if I did. (laughs) And uh, Garth, Garth, uh, my son now lives in the UK, which when he first said he was going to do that, I said, why do you think I came to Australia? I said, to give you a better life. Why on earth would you want to go and live there? He's got a good business, so he's quite happy being there. But I'm not happy. That's all right. (laughs) Fair enough. And uh, thanks, so, yeah, I, d- I didn't sort of think to, uh, to cover that part of your life, but it did sort of intrigue me what, what, what sparked that decision. Sure. But um, I guess bringing it back to the, the veteran space now just for a little bit, what, what do you think uh, is the main thing that we as ESOs are missing at the moment? Like, what's the one thing that um, you think the veteran uh, space could do with that no one's really looking at at the moment? 
when, when I did my final interview today with my team leader, um, what the program is with Timor Awakening, I think it should be done for families as well. Mm. So it should be mum and dad and the kids and they should be included in part of the program because I think a lot of relationships within defence go through so many struggles with the moves and all the other issues mm. that you have and the, the absenteeism of either mum or dad um, that doing something like Timor Awakening for the family mm. would be excellent. Would be just It would um, make the spouse realise that they're not on their own, yep. that other people have this exactly the same problems that they have in dealing with either the husband or the wife when they come home on deployment, and so do the kids, and that's the other thing. Um, yeah, so doing a program like this, I would love DVA to finally, well, not finally, but DVA to actually sponsor people mm. to come on this program yep. because I think it's worth it for the mental health of the individuals yep. that come on this program. So if DVA can see that as um, a way forward for our wellness and well-being, yep. it would be excellent if they could, just like other... Uh, we we I mean, we send people to professionals and this is what this is. This is a professional program mm. run by professionals who want the well-being of the veteran. Yep. So doing all of that and maybe, you know, I'm not saying fully fund it, but to actually give something for people to come and do this program I think is what we should be looking at. Well, it really means a lot, you know, uh, for someone from your... Yeah, medical background to know that because you would have done so much training, so it, mm. you know, it would be dif difficult to pull the wool over your eyes if it yeah, was if, right. if the program right. was a farce, you know, yeah. if it was baseless. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, you've been on a couple now and you've seen yeah. how it works. But yeah, uh, yeah I, mean, I, I definitely agree. I think um, yeah. because the the family of the veteran is often the unsung hero. Correct. Both the spouse and the kids. Correct. Uh, because they get, as you said, pulled around from posting to posting, putting up with a large amount of absent absence from the from the veteran, or from the service member, and um, you know, that has an effect on people's lives. It's disruptive. Yeah. Um, and can be destructive too as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you just wonder if something like this was offered to families, if we would have as much uh, veteran suicide. That's right, because a lot of the problems come from You know, it's just too issues. much. Yeah, yeah, it's just too much. They can't cope with their family and everything mm -hmm. else. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you could do that, that, I mean, that would be excellent. would be excellent. I agree. And Wendy, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing all that. Like, uh, yeah, really, really a depth of knowledge, depth of wisdom. And, um, yeah, I have no doubt, as I've said to everybody else we've spoken to, because everyone has such great stories that anyone listening to this has definitely benefited from it. So um, thank you so much once more. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We trust it's been valuable. If you've got any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com. And we do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone you feel really needs to hear it and keep a lookout for our next episode. Thank you.